not to Psalm 122, um, but to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. The reason I say that is we send out things on what's going to happen and stuff. And so I was going to preach on Psalm 122 uh, this morning, but changed it, uh, staying with sort of last week's theme on suffering. Um, I'm going to be preaching from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, and the title of this message is just Fiery Trials. And so if you're going to be looking up here at all like normal for notes, you ain't going to find any because I surprised the guys in the back as well with uh, a change in the message. And so um, we're just staying with this theme of sufferings. This is where the Lord sort of sort of has me. Um, and so let me just read this text. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 12 through 19. Writes the following, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the ways in which You speak to us. Reveal Yourself to us. Reveal Your will for us. Lord, shine insight upon what this world is all about and how we are to interact with the things of this world. Specifically, in this case, suffering, fiery trials, hard things that come our way. Lord, they're they're not a surprise to you and you instruct us not to be surprised by them. And so, Lord, we ask that you would take this word and you would sow it into our hearts and you would help us to not be surprised by various fiery trials that come our way. Instead, would you anoint us with your spirit, lead us and guide us to live the lives you've called us to live, that we would live these lives with great joy with great hope, having this confident expectation that we will one day spend eternity with You where there will be no fiery trials. And so, Lord, would You bless us today as we spend time in Your Word together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So there's this this teaching out there. I'm sure most of you have heard of it. It's called the, the Prosperity Gospel. And so as we talk about trials and we talk about 
suffering. I would say one of the threats to us as believers is going to be sort of false teaching or false doctrines. And one of these false teachings is commonly called the prosperity gospel. Or it's also known as sort of the health and wealth gospel. It is a false gospel, false truth, false good news that claims God rewards people based upon their faith. And so as you walk in this this place of great faith in God, according to the prosperity gospel, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'm sure it can be sort of nuanced in certain ways, but just in general ways, if your faith is great, your health should be great. If you have great faith in God, then, then, then you should not only have great health, but you should probably also experience wealth. And if you're not experiencing great health, and you're not experiencing great wealth, then, then what the prosperity gospel would say is, then there's probably something wrong with your faith. And so people who buy into the prosperity gospel then would find themselves naturally being surprised when hard things come their way. Studies have revealed that 50% of self-proclaimed Christians in America believe in this false gospel. And I would say these numbers are are staggering, but I, but I understand it. Even as I, I start to think about it, I know it's, it's preached and people buy into it, but, but there's also things as I'm continuing to study suffering, and I think I shared this last week, or I know I shared it in different contexts as I talked to people about last week's message and just studying suffering. Is, um, one author in an article I was reading was just saying, this generation today, our generation, this time in which we live, uh, we find ourselves surprised by suffering. Because we, we live in a time and an age where uh, there, there really isn't a lot of suffering in comparison to the generations before us. We, we live in a pretty comfortable generation where we, we get what we want, very affluent generation, especially where we live in the time in which we live. And so when suffering comes, we, we find ourselves surprised by it. We also live in a time where, where people are, are, are making good money. And so the prosperity gospel comes in at a time when it's easy to believe into because we live in a society where you can get what you want whenever you sort of want it. Now, that's kind of changing during this actual specific time. But the point being here is the prosperity gospel is something that tempts most people, that tempts most believers, because we want to love the Lord. We want to do what the Lord is calling us to do. And we believe that if we do what he tells us is going to do, then, then we're going to experience this great blessing and, and life's not going to have much suffering to it. And that's, that's the lie of the prosperity gospel. Because that's not what we learn in God's word. See, the prosperity gospel doesn't have a real biblical category for suffering. Suffering doesn't fit into their theology. Suffering doesn't fall under healthy and wealthy. Suffering is not seen as a blessing, but rather it's seen as a lack of faith. The prosperity gospel is not biblical, but it is cultural. And it's something that we need to stay away from and be careful of. Because suffering, as we read in God's word, is not always necessarily a bad thing. Suffering is something that God actually uses for our good. And what we see in Scripture, it was the way of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to suffer in our place. 
He actually came into this world to die on a cross so that we would be forgiven. That we would be declared righteous and we'd be brought into this right relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. He didn't die on the cross so we could be healthy for the rest of our lives here. Now, we might be the most wealthiest people around, but he died on the cross so that we would have a right relationship with God and that God's wrath would, would be poured out upon his son and that we might experience his mercy and have this hope, this confident expectation of a life not here on earth forever, but a life spent with Christ and with all other believers forever and ever in heaven. What we're going to learn this morning from this text, from Peter, is this truth. Everyone who suffers according to God's will must entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Everyone who suffers according to God's will must entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So we're going to take a look at this truth by looking at four points this morning from our text. In our first point, Peter instructs us to not be surprised by trials. To not be surprised by trials. Point number one, do not be surprised by trials. This isn't clever, I'm not making this stuff up, it kind of just comes from our text. But, but the reason the Lord sort of writes this way is because we tend to find ourselves surprised when life doesn't go the way that we want it to go. We, we make these plans, and, and making plans are great. But sometimes hard things work their way into our plans, and they disrupt our plans. And what the Lord would say to us is this, Beloved, verse 12, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Isn't that a great verse? Just think about all the trials that come our way. All the hard things you have experienced. The the very small hard things, but they're still hard because it's your life and it's disrupted your life. And so there's small things that are hard. And then there's big things that are hard. And that's all included in verse 12. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We get surprised because we feel like at times these, these fiery trials, whether they're small or big, we feel like they're strange. But what he's saying here is don't, don't think about them as something strange. They're actually sort of kind of normal. Don't be surprised when trials come your way. And at the beginning of this letter, he wrote something similar. Verse 6, he said this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice how his language has changed from the beginning of this letter to chapter 4. He goes from various trials to now saying fiery trials. What he means by various trials and fiery trials here are all the troubles that we face in this life. As we identify ourselves with Christ and seek to live out our lives faithfully picking up a cross and following Christ in this world. He means that there will be seasons in this life where we find ourselves walking through very difficult things. 
various trials. Trials of of many kinds or of many colors. And we could spend the rest of the time just sharing what what trial did you walk through yesterday or this week? And it, it's gonna it's gonna feel like it might pale in comparison to what somebody else might be walking through. But but he's trying to just grab all trials, various trials, trials of many kinds, many shapes, many colors. And then he transitions to fiery trials, trials that are painful. Trials that are hard. Trials that test us like fire testing gold. And in this case, as he's writing to his readers, they were being tested by a fiery trial where they were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking about those moments when we feel lost. We can feel overwhelmed by what life has brought us, where we feel helpless having to fend off the attacks of Satan. He means that these trials will not be comfortable. Those moments in life when it's not easy. And whatever they may be though, his instruction to us is do not be surprised by them. Do not think for a second that you are somehow immune from the hard things in this life. Do not be surprised by them. Do not think that that they're strange, that they show up in your life. Fiery trials, they are a reality for everyone. And this includes us as believers. We're not immune from fiery trials. God God uses them in, in many good ways. And we talked about them last week a little bit as we spent time in Romans. But, but we need to understand trials are, are used by God. He doesn't just delight in, oh, I, I want to see these people punished. Or I want to see these people uh, hurt really, really bad. That, that's not how God's necessarily thinking about them. He's, he's using them for our good. He is a faithful creator who's at work in this world that we live in. He's at work in our lives. And he, and he takes these trials and he uses them. And in, in one of the ways he uses them, he tests us. We'll jump into that in just a moment. But, but he also uses it to help us understand that we're not meant to live in this world forever. There's so many scriptures that just talk about suffering. Talk about our bodies just wasting away. And that's just a reality. The older we get, I would say, and this has been my experience, now I'm only 44, and so i got people in here I know are in their 60s, can probably verify this, just go talk to them. And they just say, the older we get, the more we're aware of suffering, personally and then in the lives of others. And that's where I would say I feel like I'm at, at 44, and we spent time in community group this past week, and I've spent time talking to many of you, and, and there's, just, there's just little bits of trials and suffering showing up everywhere in everybody's life. And what God's word would say in verse 12 is don't be surprised by it. Don't think that it's strange. It's just as we get older, for some reason, the Lord allows for us to open our eyes to see it. Oh, it's all around us. People are suffering in many ways. And God uses these sufferings to help us not be in love with this world. To enjoy the gifts that he gives to us, but, but also to help us see that we're not meant to live here forever. This isn't, this isn't our ultimate home. See, when, when we find a trial to be strange or we find ourselves being surprised by it, I would say let that be sort of one of those marks in your life to just pause for a moment 
and remind yourself that whatever you're surprised by, whatever you think is strange that's showing up in your life or in the life of somebody else that you really, really love, let it be a reminder that our true home is in heaven. That the Lord has saved us, not to spend eternity here doing this every Sunday, but He's saved us so that we might walk in a right relationship with Christ and spend eternity with Christ and all believers throughout every generation living with Him, where there will be no fiery trials. Let us not be surprised by trials. George Whitfield said the following, he said, I am now about to take orders. This was when he just graduated from Oxford and was heading into ministry. He said, I am now about to take orders in my degree and go into the world. What will become of me, I know not. All I can say is I look for perpetual conflicts and struggles in that life and hope for no other place but only a cross while this side of eternity. Here's a man who, who somebody must have taught him well. He's about to enter the ministry and he's looking out. And I would say a lot of people get into ministry and they're looking out and they're just thinking, I can't wait. I can't wait to get out there and preach the gospel and see all these people get saved and, and build a massive church. I guarantee you there's so many people have that mindset when they get into ministry. And as I've gotten older, one of the things I've learned to ask people when they come to me and they, they want to be a pastor and we start this process, the first question I ask them is, do you love people? And I'll say, do you love the, these people in this church? And they'll be like, yes, I love these people. And I, I know that thought. I was, I was that young guy too at one point. And what I'm getting at there is, is I, I eventually turn it and I just say, and I'm, and I'm I'm letting you in on a little secret. Eventually, these people aren't going to like you. It's just true. At some point, at some point, they're just not going to like you. Like, this is the secret, pastors, they talk about this. Sheep bite sometimes. And I say that I'm a sheep as well. Phil's my pastor. I've, I've been a part of a church. I wasn't always a pastor, but being a pastor in a church, and I'm not just talking about you because I love this church. But when people are getting into ministry and are stepping out into ministry, I think they just envision sometimes that it's just sunshine and rainbows. That as soon as you say, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you repent and you believe in Him, you'll, you'll, you'll have eternal life. And they, they just think like, you're going you're gonna to radically change the world in one sentence. And I say that because there, there is power in the gospel, and I believe that. It's changed our lives. It's changed your life. But as we read Scripture, what we see is that there's also a lot of suffering involved. And you just do any study on any missionary, it, was, it wasn't just radical success right away. So as I come back to it, I love what George Whitfield had to say. Is, as I look out, as he stands there with his degree and his, his readiness to go and take the gospel out into the world, somebody had the wisdom to share with him. What that's going to look like is, is, is a fiery trial. What that's going to look like is, is work. It's going to look like sweating. It's going to look like a lot of meetings, talking with people who disagree with you, who don't like what you have to say, who might try to run you off. Because there's people in this world that don't actually believe this good news, that aren't accepting of this good news. 
And so when you preach this good news and you try to build a church with this good news, there will be people that will try to run you off. And so he looks out and he just says, I just see conflict. I see struggle. See, if we're going to pick up our crosses and we're going to faithfully follow Jesus Christ in this world, then we should expect conflict. We should expect struggles with the world around us that's fundamentally opposed to God and His ways. So church, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you pick up your cross and you seek to faithfully follow Jesus Christ if you experience opposition, if you experience trials. These conflicts and these struggles have a purpose. God has ordained this purpose to test us. And by test, I mean that they have a way of just sort of revealing what is true about our faith. And I would say, in a real good way, strengthening our faith as well in Jesus Christ. And so if you think about it like this, and this really could be applied in, in any area of your own life, and just as you want to grow in something, what do you need to do? You kind of need to be stretched in that area, right? Like, if you want to grow in understanding something, you need to read things that are maybe difficult to understand about that and, and engage in that sort of knowledge of stuff that you might grow in your understanding of it. And so I'm a simple person. I think about it in the sense of coaching. So I have the opportunity to coach a lot of guys, and I think baseball, and I've coached this. One of the things I do in baseball is I design drills for my kids to get them better. And so we start with where they're at. And then I eventually make those drills harder and harder and harder because I want to get them from here to over here. And so an example would be like if, if we're working on hitting, I might start off throwing a baseball 65 miles. I'm not throwing this. I have a pitching machine just so you guys know. We might start off with 65 miles an hour and we work through it and we're, their guys are hitting it. And so next time through it comes up, I, I just ratchet it up. And so this was true of us recently. And so I had to get them to a place where they're hitting 85, 90 mile an hour fastballs. It's easy to hit a 65 mile an hour fastball. Standing there when something's coming at you 90 miles an hour, it's a little faster. And so to get them, I didn't just immediately throw them on 90. We worked our way through a progression where eventually they're, they're used to it. And they've had to struggle through 75, 85, but eventually hitting 95 in a sense. That's how trials are at work in our lives in some ways. They're hard, aren't they? Trials are just hard. They have a way of just getting us to this place where we saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know the next thing here, but, but it's in our life and it's testing us in the sense of revealing what's true about us and it's making us stronger. As long as we allow for these trials to have their full effect in our lives, they, they have this great way of growing us in our faith. It's how God is at work in the midst of our trial. God does not waste a single trial. He uses it to grow us, to strengthen our faith, and I would say, prepare us for eternity. This leads us to our second point. Number two, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. We aren't to just sort of grit our teeth and endure sufferings. No, Peter instructs us to rejoice in our suffering. Verse 13 says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, 
that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The prosperity gospel teaches us that suffering is bad and possibly a sign of a lack of faith. But God teaches us here it's the opposite. Peter's saying that suffering for the sake of the gospel, it's actually a privilege that we get as believers. When we suffer for our faith, we're, we're actually sharing in Christ's sufferings. This type of righteous suffering is an indication to us that, that we actually belong to Jesus Christ. And that we're actually faithfully following Jesus Christ. Paul, writing to Timothy, said the following. He said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, when you think persecuted, just insert suffer. If you seek to pick up a cross, follow Jesus Christ, and be faithful and live a godly life in Christ Jesus, Paul says, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer. And then Jesus said the following. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And he goes on, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven. See, it gives us that eternal perspective. When we suffer for the sake of the gospel, what Jesus is teaching us here is that that we should rejoice in that, not thinking so much about the here and now, but about the reward that awaits us in heaven. Helen Rosevere was a Christian British medical doctor who served more than 20 years in Africa. In 1964, a revolution overwhelmed the area where she was serving. She was captured. She was brutally tortured in so many ways. And then she wrote down these words as she wrestled with God. Why are you doing this? Or why is this happening? Her response was this as she felt like God was speaking to her. said, 20 years ago, you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary. The privilege of being identified with me. This is it. Do you want it? This is what it means. These are not your sufferings. They are mine. All that I ask of you is that you loan me your body. Again, it goes back to that. Here's a missionary going out there wanting to make a difference in this world saying, Lord, here am I. Use me whatever way you want me to be used. And I imagine in the beginning, the mindset is, I'm going to save so many people's lives using all the medicine and all the tools that I've learned over time. And I'm going, to, I'm going to help these people in Africa. And what ends up happening is a revolution breaks out. She gets captured. She's brutally tortured in all the ways that you could ever imagine. And she wonders why. And the Lord just reminds her, I am using you. And the Lord did use her in many, many ways. When we suffer for our faith in Jesus, we must remember that we are sharing in his sufferings and that he's always present in the midst of our suffering. Remember, Jesus didn't come into this world to live a comfortable life. He came into this world to suffer in our place on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Suffering as Christians is a way, in a way, confirms for us that we're actually on the right path. That we're headed in the right direction to that final day 
when we'll see Jesus Christ in all of his glory. For on this day, Peter writes that all who share in Christ's suffering will also share in his glory and be welcomed home to eternity with him. I love that perspective. I feel like we need to have that perspective. When we suffer, we're actually sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And when we share in the sufferings of Christ, it reminds us we're also share in the glory of Christ on that final day. Again, it's just a reminder. This is not our home. We don't live here forever. We're actually living for something so much greater than this. And so in the midst of our suffering, we, we have a reason to praise God. We have a reason to thank the Lord. This leads us to our third point. Do not be ashamed for suffering for your faith in Christ. Peter makes... At a point in verse 15 to let us know that there is suffering that we should be ashamed of. Verse 15, he said, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. And so what he's getting at there is he's like, we can actually do things to bring about suffering in our life. We can live a life of sin. And and what will eventually happen is living a life of sin will result in some unnecessary suffering. Just the result of disobedience and rebellion against the Lord. And so if I want to be arrogant and prideful and go start a fight with Donnie Hoover right now, and he punches me in the mouth as a retaliation, I invited that suffering upon myself. You see how that works? That's kind of what he's getting at here. And he's like, you don't, don't suffer like that. That's not a righteous way to suffer. You, you invited that beating. I, I have no doubt that he, he would beat me down bad, just so you know. Well, we'll never do that. Anyways, point is, there, there is sort of this unrighteous suffering where we, we invite it. And we all do this to some degree, don't we? We all sort of make life harder for ourselves at times by being foolish and disobedient to the Lord. And he's just like, stay away from that. Verse 16, he says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So be ashamed of that type, but not ashamed of suffering for the sake of Christ, but let him glorify God in that name. See, we glorify God in our sufferings by not shrinking back from our faith in God. Persecution for our faith in Christ will stop the moment we deny Christ. But if we pick up our cross and we hold firm to our faith, it might not, and that's okay. Because we're living for something so much better than being comfortable in this world, having people not say mean things or bad things about us because we actually believe in Jesus Christ. What he's kind of getting at there is he's, he's saying, don't be afraid to identify yourself with Christ. You might suffer for it, but be reminded there's a reward for it that only Christ can give you because he was perfect on your behalf and he died for you. So don't shrink back in the midst of righteous suffering. Instead, rejoice in it. He's encouraging us here. All the suffering we experience for being believers, for picking up a cross and trusting in Christ, he's saying it's just, it's worth it. It's always worth it. 
Verse 17, he goes on, he says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What this means is that God is at work right now in the world purifying his church. Suffering for the sake of Jesus' name has a way of sort of just revealing what is true about our faith in Jesus as well as revealing who is really trusting in Christ as their only hope. That's how suffering works in many ways. Juan Sanchez in his commentary writes the following. He says, suffering will both reveal God's people as he brings them through it. And expose those who are not his people as they fail to trust God or Christ in it. The sheep and the goats, referring to Matthew 25, are revealed in suffering now. As they will be revealed in final judgment later. We are now in the last days, the end is near. And in this sense, final judgment is already underway in the church through Christian suffering. See, if we're ashamed... Kind of what he's getting at here. If, if you're ashamed of Christ today, what, what happens in the end, if, if you're unwilling to identify ourself or yourself with Christ today, then on the final day, when Christ returns, when, when you stand before him, what will happen on that day? See, it's only those who trust in Christ who are rewarded with eternal life. Kind of what he's, he's getting at there, and, and he's saying that through our suffering, it'll be revealed if we really trust him or not. Who are we really clinging to and hoping in when life gets hard? Friends, do not be ashamed to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Instead, entrust your life to Christ. And this leads us to our final point. Entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Verse 19 says, therefore, so summing up all this stuff, as a result of all that he's just said, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Suffering is about trusting in our God. And I love how he just he just highlights faithful creator. We spent time again on Wednesday night talking about this as a community group and a lot of the things that just kept coming up is, is not really understanding at times why specific hard things enter our lives. Like, and by that I mean like the details. How is God using this for my daughter's good? Or how is God using this for my good? Or how is God using this for our church's good? It just, it seems strange. It seems hard at times. But, but a lot of times where I come back to and just let you know how I think about this. And I think a lot of people in our community group are thinking this way. Is when I have hard questions that I'm trying to answer, how I typically reconcile these hard things that I don't always have the answer to is by just the truth of who God is. So when I have a question about creation, and that could be anything, that could be me and what I'm experiencing or, or what our church is walking through or what somebody else is walking through and how creation is sort of working its way out, meaning how my life is being lived or how your life is being lived and the pain you're experiencing. And I don't really have the specifics. I always go back to the truth of who God is and I want to encourage you to do the same thing. And what we learn here in this verse is that we have a faithful 
creator. That's not a throwaway sort of phrase about our God. It's something we have to be just deeply rooted and grounded in. Because I'd say, either you believe he's a faithful creator or not. And that will be revealed in the way in which you suffer. The way in which you think about yourself, your own life, and how creation is working its way out. Either he's in charge or he's not. Either he knows what he's doing or he doesn't. When he created all of this and he created you and me and everybody else in his image after his likeness and, and he said go and things started going, either he was faithful or he's not. And I like to think he's faithful. And the reason I like to think that is because he actually says it in his word and I, and I believe it. And so when I start to think he's not faithful and I start to question his faithfulness and his goodness because of the situation I'm walking through or you're walking through, what I need to do is I need to come back to this verse and start speaking truth to myself and speaking truth to us as a church that you may experience hard things. It may be a fiery trial. It may hurt. But you have a faithful creator who's at work in your life, who has not left you, but instead he actually sent his son to live in your place and die for you so that you might live forever in heaven with him. That's a faithful creator. But we learn these things about him, don't we? From his word and as we walk through trials like this. And so part of us entrusting our souls to God in the midst of various trials and fiery trials means we have to really believe he is faithful. He's faithful. And then that fuels the next part where he says, okay, what do you do in the midst of a trial? You continue to do good. Meaning, sometimes that's just put the next foot in front of the next one. Sometimes that means just quietly getting on your knees and just crying out to God and, and, and trusting in him for the hard things that you're experiencing, laying your heart out before him. He knows you. He created you. He's a faithful creator. He's not surprised by this trial. You don't be surprised by this trial. Instead, entrust yourself to a faithful creator and continue to do good. Sometimes that looks like just showing up the next day to work. Sometimes that looks like getting up and making breakfast for your kids. Sometimes that looks like showing up to church on Sunday. Because a lot of times when fiery trials hit, it's like a massive tornado that just wrecks everything in your world. And a lot of times we're standing around and thinking, well, what do we do next? This hurts. It's hard. And I think what, what Paul or what Peter's getting at here and what God's teaching us is, is you just sort of do the next thing God's called you to do. You talk to your wife. You talk to your kids. You read your Bible. You just, you just put that one foot in front of the next and you trust God for the outcome doesn't have to be spectacular, but we trust him for it. So church, in closing, I would just say this. Do not be surprised when you suffer. Do not be surprised when hard things come into your marriage or come into your parenting or come into your work or come into you when you leave this building today or even before you leave this building. Don't be surprised. But instead, let's trust the Lord for them. Let's trust that the Lord's going to be at work in them, strengthening us and causing us to hope more in Him and the eternity we have with Him. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I ask that you pour out your spirit upon us and you'd bless us as a church with greater faith. Lord, faith for hard things. Faith to embrace various and fiery trials that make their way into our lives knowing that you are a faithful creator who has so loved us you sent your son to die for us and to save us giving us hope of spending eternity with you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give us all an eternal perspective as we live our life here today. Lord, we ask that you would use us for your glory, that you would give us great endurance and perseverance to walk through hard things. Oh, Lord, how we hope, we hope for this eternity that you have for us. And Lord, as we wait, we ask that you would help us to be faithful, to trust you for each step that you call for us to take as we pick up a cross and follow Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here. As you leave, may the Lord bless you. May he pour out his spirit upon you. May you experience his peace in abundance.